Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So uh, you edit out all of our mistakes on the podcast, right? I don't know that all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> that, that, that was a long pause there. <laughs> um, I was thinking about A-B tests because, so I work at Facebook, Facebook, Google, Netflix, all of the big companies, a lot of the smaller companies too, uh, will often do testing on their users to see like, does this website work better or does this other new version of the website work better? Um, I was thinking it'd be kind of fun to do that with podcasts where like we could give the more organic, natural, you know, uh, version of our podcast. But unfortunately, the infrastructure around delivering podcasts is just terrible. So we can't do that. I also Don't feel work. like yeah. an A-B test is probably not necessary here. I'm pretty sure that the answer is not that people want to listen to the raw audio footage. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah, there's lots of long pauses while I look things up on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. No, me too. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about A-B tests uh, out of the context of podcasts. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So one thing you might be wondering is why go through all the hassle of A-B testing? Um, so an A-B test, maybe to just step back a second, like you said, is that you have a hypothesis. There might be uh, version A of something that's superior, or it could be version B, and you don't know, and so you need to find out. And an A-B test is uh, a randomized controlled experiment where you take some people and you randomly assign them to get version A, and you get everyone else randomly assigned to version B, and then you sort of do the... Uh, the analysis, like let's say you're looking at something like how long do people listen to an episode of our podcast? And if we see that in group A, we have a bunch of people who drop out halfway through because we didn't edit it properly and people are like, I don't have time for this. Uh, then, And then we compare that to group B where they stick all the way through to the end and we did edit it. Then we can say with some confidence that the editing is something that's important for making sure that people listen to the whole podcast, right? This is This seems a little expensive though because... If half the people are getting a bad podcast um, and half of them are getting a good one, then half of them are getting a bad podcast, having a bad experience listening to this episode, and uh, and then they may not come back. Or if, let's say, I'm Amazon or Netflix or something, and I roll out a new website design, and I want to test this this very big change, and let's say that I my business goes down by 5% because the website is a little bit more difficult to use or something like that, uh, that's a really expensive test. And I mean, even if your web, even if your new website is better, still, if you if you split it down the middle, you're not getting all of the benefits of the new website. You're you're effectively losing money compared to a choice that you could make. Uh, if you were to say split it 50-50. I mean, it can even be more expensive than that because one of the, this isn't a, a framework that's only used for testing websites, right? This is right. randomized control trials of how they do drug tests. And so mm. drug tests, usually the way they do it is they have some uh, medicine that they're trying to test and it's well known that there's a placebo effect. So just someone knowing that they're that they're taking some kind of substance that could be giving them a benefit has been shown to give them a benefit, even if what they're taking is not actually, it's just a chemically inert substance like a sugar pill. And so in the context of a drug trial, like you have a drug there that you think could be helping people who have some illness and you have a placebo, which you know is not going to do anything more than just make them, you know, think in their head maybe that they feel better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it introduces strong ethical questions. Is it even ethical to purposely not give people something that you know could be helping them uh, because you want to do a scientific study? And this is something that I think 
doctors and researchers, the the consensus is that like yes, this is the way that we have to make scientific progress is by using mm-hmm. these randomized control trials. But yeah, it's a it's a really heavy issue, and you have to be very thoughtful about going through all of this expense and perhaps and perhaps leaving people behind, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the name of of making progress. And so it's worth stepping back a little bit and saying well, why do we have to do it this way? Why can't we just give everyone what we think is the new website and we see if our metrics improve after that happens? And then if they do, then we say like, woohoo, new website, you're in. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we don't do that is the reason that uh, that I sort of alluded to, for example, with the placebo effect. So we know that when we give people uh, treatments, sometimes they just respond not because the actual thing that we've done is good, but just because people know that something is being done and that can have an effect in and of itself. So we give someone a sugar pill and they they perk up a little bit just because they feel like they're being treated, even though right. there isn't anything special about the compound that we've actually given them. Another thing that can be really tricky is causality it can be easy to mess up the direction of it and the exact way that it's working so let me let me give you an example this was a an article that i read in the new york times they were talking about this was a while ago there was some study that they were running in schools where there were uh, children who were being assigned to the special after school tutoring program and uh, they were finding that students who went through the tutoring program actually did worse than their peers who didn't get extra tutoring. Uh, So they they assume that the tutoring program is making kids do worse. That was kind of the implication, like, oh, isn't this tutoring program doing a bad job? But if you think about it, the kids who end up in the tutoring program, if they're not being randomly assigned, those are the, the kids who their parents are saying, oh, I think my kid needs some extra help and they're falling behind. And so therefore I'm gonna place them Mm. into this extra program. And you don't have a way of knowing if they would have been falling behind anyway. And maybe maybe the tutoring program is actually helping a lot and they're doing better than they would have done if they hadn't had it. But you don't have a way of sort of living in both of those worlds. The one right. where where they do get the tutoring and when the one where the same student doesn't get the tutoring, you know, because you can't you can't, uh, you know, split the universe that way. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. It's not necessarily intuitive. Uh, this is why we need a system, like a, 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 a script to follow, basically, to say, like, if we want to control for bias, this is how we do it, as opposed to, uh, you know, just, just, just uh, you know, use common sense and control for the bias, make sure that you're not misinterpreting things. Yeah, and so controlling for the bias, the way that we do that is with the randomization. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the randomization is sort of the best thing that we have that allows us to live in both worlds, the world in which the students get the after-school tutoring and the world in which they don't. Because the idea is that you want to have... In a perfect in a perfect world, you know, where the laws of physics do not apply, you could take literally the same student and send them through the after-school tutoring and also not send them through the after-school tutoring. And then look at the outcome of what happens in each of those scenarios. And then the difference between those two outcomes is what we would call the treatment effect, the effect of the tutoring. So you're basically saying rewind time and do everything exactly the same, but just with one key difference. I've many times wished that I could do that just to see, like, how much does exercising make me feel better about my life or, you know, a number of other examples. Right. But of course, we can't actually take you and uh-huh. and have you relive, you know, the same month of your life two times, once in which right. you exercise and once in which you don't. Right, exactly. 
that's that that's such a, it's it was such a bummer to me when i was a kid and i'm like oh all you have to do is make a time machine how do you do that oh you can't that was a big bummer for me growing sorry, up sorry ben <laughs> well what we've been able to do instead which is a right. the next best thing is randomizing uh, you you take many different people and you randomize whether they get the treatment or they don't, whether they get the after-school tutoring or they just go home after school or, or whatever. And, yeah, and the idea there is that if you have enough people uh, and you split them up into two very large groups, those two groups will behave pretty much the same way. I mean, of course, there are going to be outliers. There are going to be uh, people who behave differently who might be in one group versus the other. But if you look at the the, the big picture, the, the whole sum the behavior will be roughly similar with enough people. And one thing that's really important is that they have to be randomly assigned. Mm. And they you can't allow people to self-select into these groups for the reason that we were saying about, you know, for example, maybe people are selecting to be in the after-school tutoring because they know that, you know, they failed their last math test and they need a little bit of help. Another reason why the randomization is really important is because Another way that you can get this wrong if you're not careful about the randomization is you can have, you're trying to study the relationship between two things. Um, and sometimes you'll see them moving together, but it's not because one is causing the other. It's because both of them are being jointly caused by some third thing. Mm, okay. So what's, a, what's an example of that? Well, so one that leaps out to me immediately is, uh, let's say you see that people dying of cancer and people who have very poor oral health, like their teeth are falling out and things like that. There's mm. some correlation there. And you say something like, oh, well, maybe the people who have bad oral health, we come up with some story about how they don't eat as well. And uh, and then them not eating as well is causing them to you know, eat this junk food that eventually causes them to have cancer you know, many years later. Or you could even just say the worse your oral health is, the more likely you are to get cancer like as a more direct thing, like your teeth, I don't know, cause cancer somehow. Right, or what might also be plausible is that there's some third thing that's causing both bad oral health and you getting cancer down the road, like... Right, smoking. Smoking, exactly. Yeah. And actually, this is kind of an interesting story because smoking for a very long time, I mean, not really during our lifetimes, but in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it wasn't clear that smoking actually caused cancer. And and part of the reason that it took so long for people to figure out there's an extremely strong causal link between smoking and things like lung cancer. But it took a really long time for people to sort of fully grasp that politically because mm -hmm. the thing that the cancer, uh, <laughs> the cancer industry, the cigarette industry was saying. <laughs> the cancer industry. <laughs> Uh, so the thing that they were saying is that, you know, yes, there's obviously, you know, we look at the incidence of, say, lung cancer in people who smoke and the incidence in people who don't smoke. And we see that there's much higher cancer rates in people who smoke. But maybe that's because they're just people who are more likely to get cancer. And maybe there's there's certain genetic factors that happen to make you like nicotine. And those mm -hmm. are the same genetic factors that happen to make you more susceptible to lung and throat and mouth cancer. And it's not really our fault. You know, this was going to happen anyway. And it's just like we happen to be a convenient scapegoat. And Oh, wow. And that, uh, you know, really stalled progress on things like cigarette warnings, 
uh, you know, the, the labels that they have on cigarettes that tell you how bad it is for you. And, you know, for a long time, uh, you know, the advertising laws for cigarettes were much more lax than they were now. People were advertising the kids and all this stuff because because the causal link was constantly just kind of being poked at by, in particular, like the tobacco industry, which obviously yeah, it's, has a... Yeah, it's easy to, to make up excuses. Sure, yeah. So So it's, these can be really, they can have really, really big public health effects. And of course, you can't, the other reason it took so long to figure this out is because there isn't really a way that you can randomize whether people pick up smoking or not, right? You can't pick a mm-hmm. bunch of people at random from the sidewalk and say, like, you have to start smoking now and see if their incidence of smoking in those randomly chosen people is higher many years down the road. Because first of all, that would be completely impractical. And secondly, it seems extremely unethical. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, so that, you know, additionally made it something very difficult to study in uh, in direct experiments the way that you usually would with something like, you know, a website or or a more controlled situation. Um, and, and it was just that the link is so strong and so undeniable that it was eventually able to be established that, that no, there was a causal relationship here. So while we're talking about correlation versus causation, I've got, um, I've got another question in the what's the third factor quiz that we're doing, mm-hmm. which is the, the more firemen that are sent to a fire the more damage that gets done to the house from the fire. Uh, well, from the fire, the, the, from the fire is the third part. Oh yeah. Well, of course. Right. But it, but I, well, <laughs> exactly. So that's an easy one. Um, but like if, if you, if you said this to an alien who didn't really understand uh, a lot about our society and, and the things that tend to happen, they would quite reasonably maybe conclude that the firemen are the ones who cause the damage. There's a really funny website, which I completely love. It's, I think, called like Spurious Correlation Finder or something. Oh, that's amazing. Have you ever seen this? I have not seen this, no, but I have looked up Spurious Correlations in other places. I actually have another one for you, which is that there's a, a strong correlation, a fairly strong correlation between the number of Nobel Prizes won by a country adjusting for population and per capita chocolate consumption. That sounds like a spurious correlation. Right. So Switzerland is at the top in both. In both. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking on, at the uh, tylerweigen.com slash spurious correlations. I highly recommend it. Um, very what high. What was that URL again? Uh, Tyler Weigen. Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R. Weigen, I assume is his last name. V-I-G-E-N.com. Slash spurious Forward slash spurious correlations. And he has a bunch of these. Uh, let's see, with a ninety-four point seven percent correlation, uh, there is a there seems to be a strong relationship between the per capita cheese consumption and the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets. Oh, I see. That was a that was a grim one. What else do we have here? Uh, the divorce rate of in Maine. Uh, correlates very strongly over 99% with the per capita consumption of margarine. Oh, so that's going that's on. That's nasty. Uh, <laughs> we've also got the global average temperature is correlated uh, with the number of pirates. Oh, interesting. Uh, sorry, inversely correlated, I should say. That reminds me of another one that I once heard, which is that uh, the crime rate is highly correlated with ice cream sales. Oh, really? Uh-huh, but... 
the the causal link that's actually this is one of these A and B are caused by C situations. They think yeah. of the causal link here is just that crime goes up when it's warm out. People tend to be outside of the house and like you oh, can stay really? out later without it being uncomfortable and things like that, which also happens to be when people eat ice cream. So I didn't know that. That mm-hmm. that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so without the benefit of something like an A B test, if you're ever trying to figure out if if there's causality going on, yeah, you're always gonna be kind of caught in these in these little whirlpools. Well, not always. You can do observational inference, but it's super, super hard. So in general, when you're trying to understand if there's causality going on, A-B tests or randomized control trials are the way that you have to go. Right. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.